0: so i believe entrepreneurs will solve all of the world's problems i believe that it is in the hands of entrepreneurs it's the mindset it's the ability to look at the world and see problems and find solutions and have that relentless attitude that winning mindset that keeps you going no matter what and i was lucky enough to interview maya kale co-founder of moon she built this business with her sister millie and they did this over the last couple of years and it has been a tremendous success. That's not to say there weren't challenges along the way. And she draws out some of the lessons and highlights them in this episode, and it is just pure gold. Guys, if you're entrepreneurs and you're building businesses, this is what you want to get your head into. This is from straight from someone who's done it, who's just raised capital, who's built a business from scratch, disrupted an industry, and brought value to an underserved marketplace. I think that's the biggest piece here. They have both gone out there And what they're building is phenomenal. I absolutely love it. I really love what they're building at Moon. You should go out and you should check out their website, buy their products, support this business. It will do you wonders. If you're a modern Asian woman, this is right up your street. This business has been built specifically for you, with you in mind and with you in part of the process. And this interview, I loved it. I loved talking to Maya. I could talk to her forever. This story is just gonna blow your mind. And so really sit down, grab a cuppa and just get a notepad and get some notes going because Maya really is speaking as an entrepreneur about some of the lessons, some of the challenges and some of the wins that you have as an entrepreneur on that journey when you take a business from zero to one and you raise capital and you grow a team and you go out there and you expand. So take it away, Maya. Maya. Welcome to the Tim Castle Live Show, where we meet courageous people doing inspirational things around the world. I am very excited to have you here, Maya Kale. Thank you. On the show here to discuss your journey, building Moom Health. Yeah. Like the coolest thing about this is you did it with your sister. You built this business from the ground up with the sister and it started in june 2021 so yeah like (laughs) like to get to where you are now just to put some context to it like you've raised money you've raised more than a million dollars you've served a lot of women in asia yeah and you're doing things with the personalized supplement business so it's it's disrupting something Like, can you talk us through how when why did you decide to set up Moom Health and like, how was that journey?
1: Yeah. So, so it's funny because people oftentimes ask, so my sister's name is Millie. Um, and thanks for the intro, super excited to be here, but people oftentimes ask like, Oh my God, what is it like working with your sister? And it's really funny because it was never really a question for us. Like, I think we always knew if we were going to start something, it would be with each other. Um, I almost had this like weird feeling inside that I would be upset if Millie started something without me, and I think vice versa. Just because we had it like instilled with us at such a young age that we were going to do something together, Um, and we weren't always close either. So it is interesting that we both felt that way. We had this like connection about starting a business, which I think is interesting. And my dad was an entrepreneur, so maybe it's like that. Uh, My mom has a very like entrepreneurial spirit, so it runs in the family, but. Millie and I hadn't lived in the same place for 10 years. So oh, okay, we cool. kept missing each other. Like I was in, Ca- she was in California for uni, and then I went to California for uni, and then she moved to New York, and then I moved to New York. But when I was in New York, she was in India. And then <laughs> uh, when she went to India, I came back to Singapore. And so um, it was the height of the pandemic, and she moved back from, she was living in San Francisco actually during the pandemic. And it was like the last, night that Singapore was gonna allow flights back from oh, um, outside wow. of Singapore. And so my dad was like calling her up at 4 a.m. Like, you need to get on the next flight home or else you're stuck in San Francisco. And so she was like, okay, cool. Like I'm packing my bags and her and her husband moved back with just a suitcase. Like it wasn't really this idea that they were going to live here. Mm. Um but then obviously everyone's pandemic story like unfolds into something completely different. And ours turned into a business because I think we were together again for the first time after so long. And we we were at a place in our careers, I think, where it was kind of like, it's now or never, um, which looking back is silly because I almost think I could start another company 20 years from now, even 10 years from now, even like a year from now. It, it doesn't really matter the time. But I think maybe because we had that impulse and I think most entrepreneurs say this and I don't even like consider myself that yet, but they're like, if you don't start, you'll never know. Or like, if you have the Mm. idea, just do it. Like the hardest part is starting. Now that I've run the business for a year and a half, I would definitely say the hardest part is running the business, not starting (laughs) the business, but we can get to that later. But essentially to answer your question, we were in the same space after a really long time and Millie had always wanted to build a product And I had always wanted to do something in the women's health space. I had always been super intrigued by the NGO world. I had worked in international development. Um, But I think what was missing was like the personal connection. And so when we were exploring ideas, we realized pretty early on that we needed something that had to emotionally connect to us and also be an experience that we had experienced that we wanted to change. And so Like the founding story of Moom, I guess, and our light bulb moment came when um, we kept looking back at this one experience. And it was when I was 15, I was diagnosed with PCOS. So, PCOS is a hormonal imbalance, it's presented in women in a lot of different ways. But recent studies have shown almost one in eight women have PCOS, and it's super undiagnosed. And it's also just like very hard to navigate. And so, when I went to the doctor as a 15 year old, I was put on the birth control pill, which is usually like the blanket solution um, from a pharmaceutical per- perspective. And so I was given the pill and it regulated my period and that was about it. And so what I realized after being on the pill for quite a few years is was I was getting a lot of different side effects from it. I just like wasn't enjoying my body on it. I just didn't really feel like myself. And so I decided to get off it. And when I got off it, I went to all these different women's health practitioners, like traditional medicine practitioners, naturopaths, nutritionists, like the whole gamut. And what I was given at the end of the day was a set of supplements, but I was just told to like go online and get these supplements. And what we found in that journey was like, that was the light bulb moment. Okay. You're told to go get these supplements, but how do you know where they're made? If they're made for Asian women, if they're made for women in the first place, where do you go to buy them? What are the dosages? Like all of these questions really spark in that conversation and that was when Millie and I were like okay there really hasn't been a brand in Asia made for Asian women that connects to like the modern Asian woman the millennial Asian woman and that was us in Singapore and so that's kind of how we started but we obviously knew we needed experts in the field so we created like our Avengers team of like Natural health practitioners, and that was just us like pitching a bunch of people and finding people that we really felt connected to and that had the experience we needed. And then it was about finding a manufacturer and et cetera, et cetera. And I guess what Moom has evolved in today, and like what we call our mission and whatever we really, really feel about Moom today, is slightly different than what we started with. But really, at the end of the day, it's creating natural remedies for the modern Asian woman. 100% natural again but also 100% convenient and expert backed and that's kind of like our proposition and we see the biggest gap in the market there. Um it's been a year and a half and we're really excited to continue on.
0: What an answer Maya. Yeah. That was great. Wow. That was one of the best answers I've ever had on the show. That was that was everything compacted into <laughs> I'll be too long. It was great. Um so in that, just to unpack it, like, oh my goodness, you're starting a D 2 C brand. Like, was there, like, I imagine if I'm starting a direct to consumer brand, like I'm I'm going in against the big companies, I'm, I'm going to revolutionize this thing. What was the, was there fear behind that? Or was there adrenaline? You just knew it was going to work. You were super excited because you knew you'd hit home on a problem that you'd experienced. And therefore you knew it was a problem for other women, especially in Asia. And you could really tailor that solution. Like, How how did it feel? Because it feels like you're Goliath going against like or, or climbing up a huge mountain here. But you've done it.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's obviously fear and there still is fear, not necessarily fear, actually. I think it was more nerves. I think what we saw was a trend from the West that could eventually trickle down to Asia. But rather than allowing that trend to trickle down to Asia, why not take advantage of the trend and build it yourself here? And what we found is like a lot of businesses wait for things to come to Asia Mm -hmm. when everything actually begins here. Like if you think about all solutions, they're all from here in the first place. And many of them have been modernized. I don't think we're the first people to do that. I think what we did really differently was, create a brand too that. And I think this was where we were the most confident was how can we create a brand that women our age connect to. Mm. And that is built around a community and built about these shared experiences and is aesthetically pleasing and something that I want to have in my home. And you know, it was like during the time of COVID. So your home was so important. Um, So I think like that was, there are layers of things that we were really confident about and there were things that we weren't super confident about. But to answer your question in terms of like how we found that product market fit um, before we launched, we actually ran a six to eight month beta test Mm. to really make sure that everything like we were hypothesizing made sense. Cause again, like it could have just been things in our brain that we were thinking of. Um, But because we knew we wanted to do a D2C brand, we ran this beta with, 100 women in Singapore. And basically we got 50 of our friends or people in our network. I don't mm-hmm. know if I have 50 friends. And then 50 of their friends. So like a second degree connection and we tested out our personalized supplement supplement range and really found a lot of detail on like what the biggest issues women were facing, um you know, how we could package it in a way that made sense, like what the brand stood for and that's, I think, how we gained our confidence because there were a lot of tweaks we made in that early stage. And even within the first six months of building Moom, there were a lot of tweaks we made. And, and I think I, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but making sure you just start is so important mm-hmm. because without that, you're just going to be in fear all the time.
0: Well, the, the, yeah, because even in the, the intro there where you were explaining the journey that Moom's been on, like there's certain things there that you you would see them as barriers, like oh, we just we went out and we pitched and we got a board or we got a, a collective of these neutropaths and really specialized people to come in and an advisory board to to really make sure and of experts in Singapore and across the world. And it's like that could put people off, just just that that one piece of your business, then finding yeah. the right distributor and the right manufacturer and the right and so there's all these pieces of a business that w- when you think about it can be super overwhelming but like I mean it's
1: funny that that you say that because looking back sometimes Millie and I are like why did we pick the most difficult thing to do (laughs) (laughs) like should we have done this who knows I mean obviously it's really rewarding but it also makes it hard to replicate right I think like making sure we had all of those barriers are what usually prevent people from doing what we do but I think we had, we didn't second guess it. And we just went full speed ahead. And that's how we started. I think it's just like, you have to not have the fear of like, we're never going to find someone, therefore we shouldn't do it. We actually picked like, even the personalized aspect, like that was the most difficult way of doing it operationally. Like we, when we first started Million Hour Packaging, we got my parents' room, room HSA or my family room in my parents house HSA approved to package everything in there and we were doing it ourselves for the first 6 months packaging every single order and doing everything about the business bootstrapping with our own money like why did we make it so difficult for ourselves we should have hired earlier like i guess those are all things you you find out later but i guess the takeaway from that is you have to run full speed ahead at the beginning or else it's just never going to happen
0: i love it i love this this is so good it was just so the, the, yeah like you said the lesson is don't overthink it get stuck in yeah. get, just, just go for it like start making calls start getting doing the action yeah. it's gonna get you what you want and you figure it out because but stick at it don't you, the fact that we even went and you you got your apartment or a room in the apartment approved so that you could start doing packaging it's like again it could seem too hard even that step but you yeah. you would just you're all in right you're all in so it's like exactly. whatever it takes to make it happen you're going to do and to keep improving like and, and there's so much i want to talk about here now just because you've just you've got me going like the fact <laughs> me that too you, i'm going <laughs> you, yeah the fact that you said you would hire earlier what stopped you from hiring earlier looking back
1: that's a good question you know, I think we I think that is maybe when the fear kicks in. I think doing everything yourself is easy in some ways and obviously hard in other ways. The hardest thing about doing everything yourself is first off, you're not good at everything. So that's something we knew very, very early on. Um, and I think that's something Millie and I have always recognized. But the the easiest thing about doing everything yourself is it's done the way you want it to, and you don't actually feel responsible for other people either. Um And we didn't know how real the business was at that time. Like it felt like maybe this was just like a small thing we were doing. We weren't really sure. Obviously we always had the vision of making it big and much bigger than it is even today, but it didn't feel that real then. And I think doing, I, I think the other thing at that point was that we had listened to all these podcasts. We had, read all these entrepreneur story stories online and we had always really aligned with the people that was like that were like no task is too small right mm-hmm. like packaging an order it will never be beneath us will never be too small of a of a mm-hmm. i guess like project to do and task to do and we had really aligned with that philosophy and so we thought in our minds like we need to know the business inside out in order to make sure other people buy into the roles that they're going to be playing at this business. Um, And I think that's helped us a lot today because we just had a meeting the other day with the packaging team and we were like, okay, let's have a competition. Millie and I on a team versus all of you who can (laughs) pack the fastest because they were saying like, one of our colleagues was like telling a new hire, like Millie and Meyer are still the fastest at packaging. And it's like, no, yeah, we did it for six months straight. We better be good at it. Um, but I think the hesitation to hire was just fear that it was becoming bigger than we thought it could ever be, even at that time. Mm-hmm. And once we did it, we realized how much more work there was to be done in other aspects of the business. So it's also recognizing that you can't do everything which is always a big issue for an entrepreneur, I think. Um, But yeah, I mean, I don't have the best answer to it. I think it was just if if we were ever to, as we continue to hire, it's more like as soon as you start feeling the need, you do it right then and there because also the hiring process takes so long rather than waiting until it becomes too difficult to handle and you feel desperate.
0: That's a good point. So when it feels all-consuming, you get that. Like urge within you, and you're like, "Hey, yeah, uh, we're thinking about this." That the fact that that question's come up in your mind exactly. should be an indicator that that you you're probably ready to explore hiring someone and to get on it and to not not hold back in terms of your thinking.
1: Exactly. But then you've got the
0: people, and you're training in three months rather than in six months or a year.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Man, that, that's super powerful. That's going to help a lot of entrepreneurs who who might be questioning that. The fact that they're questioning it right now
1: if, is sign. And I yeah. think it goes back to this whole idea. And I mean, I could literally talk about this idea for the next like five hours about trusting your gut. Let's as do it. An entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> because it's you will second guess yourself for every single thing. And there's definitely a whole load of like imposter syndrome that I've experienced. I think there's a whole conversation around being a female founder in Asia and like experiencing that, which is something I never really thought I would experience. But I think I keep going back to this idea of like you, yes, you need to be willing to learn and yes, you need to have advisors around you that will help you do that. But at the end of the day, if you don't trust your gut, then like what, why are you building this yourself? Like why are, then someone else should be building the company. There is a uniqueness mm. that you bring to the business. And if if you're questioning, hey, should I hire someone for this particular role? Because I feel like I need help with it. Like, obviously, think about it a bit more. But if it feels like the right decision to you, do it. Because if you make a mistake, you're only ever going to learn from the mistake.
0: Mm. Yeah, if, if you start distrusting yourself, then you're kind of out of sync. But if you just go with what you bring to the table, which is, hey, I think this could be a good idea you're always going to do the right thing in the sense of I win or I learn, but we're going forward and I don't then not distrust myself and not know where I am at. Yeah.
1: And the openness you should have is the concept of being able to learn from anything, not necessarily that you need to take every advice or piece of advice that someone says, it's like, you should also be open to learn from your own mistakes, but you have to make the mistake to be able to learn from it. So why spend hours questioning yourself when you could just trust what your brain and body and like heart is telling you.
0: I love this. I see why this has got motion behind it because it's almost saying keep it's almost Millie Meyer let's just go. Let's go. Let's go. It's it's cheering you on. Yeah. You keep keep opening, keep opening doors. Keep opening doors and not not to get stuck in trying to get it perfect every time. Yeah. And just keep pushing forward.
1: 100% and you're going to learn no matter what.
0: <laughs> have like, What have been some of the biggest lessons then? Some of the biggest things that maybe you have done differently apart from hiring?
1: I, I think the idea of not getting it right the first time is something you need to be really comfortable with. And it's a lesson that we've learned for sure. Mm. I think trusting your gut and your voice is so important. I know it sounds like so... Airy, fairy a bit and fluffy, but like really trusting your voice and and what you see the company becoming is so important. Um,
0: On that, that I- did you did you get advice for? Did you find yourself getting advice that was unsolicited from family or friends or people that weren't really in the business that then or people in general that I mean you will always
1: get unsolicited advice (laughs) 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 and that's fine because like that's just a part of it um I I think like advice is always welcome and we're very I think both of us are very open to feedback I think that another lesson coming out from what I'm saying is like everyone always talks about our entrepreneurship being very lonely Mm -hmm. and it is super lonely because nobody is as invested in what you're doing other than the people that are building it and most likely just the founders until you like have a c-suite team or like you hire people that are going to be you know the complete champions of the brand so I think like recognizing that it's lonely and therefore you need to figure out how to build your community or even like within the founder and the founding team, like how to build that trust and that like understanding of each other is so important. And I think that's like, maybe the biggest lesson I've learned is like trusting the process and trusting yourself. And I didn't even know what that meant before, I think, starting a business, like trusting the process was always to me, like, okay, what does that mean? Like people always say this, but like, how am I going to get, like, how can I apply that to my life? I think it's just like, again, learning from every experience that happens and whether negative or positive, trust your gut to participate in that experience. And then no matter which direction it goes in, just like take a minute to reflect on it and how you can improve it next time. Even if it's good, like how can you make it better? That's great. Mm. But then it comes in the idea of celebrating the wins, which clearly I haven't figured out how to yet, because I'm talking about how you can make good experiences. Better.
0: <laughs> Continuous improvement environment. Yeah,
1: exactly.
0: <laughs> Maya Kale. Yeah, let's go. What would you say then? Like, um, how, how good are you at celebrating the wins?
1: Oh, I think I'm awful at it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Is that a mission for 2023?
1: Yeah, I think so. I, I, I think as we have this conversation, I'm realizing, yeah, I'm not. I, I think we are or I am good at celebrating my team's wins. Like, I really love to recognize the work that they do. Um, internally, I think I would love in 2023 to find a way to actually, like, take the time to recognize a win and celebrate it. Um, and, like, even rewarding myself for that win.
0: Mm-hmm. How do you go about rewarding yourself? Uh,
1: the question is unanswered.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. It's it's that far back that now it needs to be put into practice.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's maybe just like taking half a day to do something that I want to do. Mm. Um, I was just, I think like recently this one quote or like uh, interview has been going viral about the Netflix co-founder who on every Tuesday like leaves at five PM? I don't know if you've read this. Um, no, I haven't. So he just—I think he did an interview, and he was basically saying, like, every every Tuesday, no matter what, I will leave work at five PM to go hang out with my wife. And no matter what the situation is, if there's a crisis, the crisis is ending at five PM. If wow. someone needs to pitch me an idea, that person is walking me to my car. If it's four fifty, like he doesn't budge from that. And he was basically saying the best thing you can do for yourself as a founder is to get a life outside of, of work. And Mm. I don't think we've ever been the type of people to think that like moon will be our whole lives, but it slowly starts to creep up on you. And I think the way I view it this year is like, I can be unapologetic about taking some time for myself because at the end of the day, it's going to make me better at what I'm supposed to be doing.
0: Yes it's like in your head you feel like you're stepping away from the business and therefore you're you're doing it a disservice but actually you're getting away from it and improving yourself by having that rest that whatever whatever it is we discover that actually is you celebrating wins whatever that becomes you do that activity and then it's actually you come back to it revitalized
1: yeah and i mean it would be interesting to hear how do you balance that and give yourself the space you need without feeling guilty
0: Oh, for me, I have it in my calendar. So I block off every Friday afternoon, late afternoon, I go for a massage. So I know that that's going to reward. Firstly, it's going to help my my stress and all of, all of those yeah. other elements, but it's also just a mental reward of you did good this week. And so yeah. it's sort of like that is in the diary. So then it reminds me, even if I forget, it's going to pop up and go, Hey, yeah. remember to do this thing. And and so I do that with other things. Like could be going for a cycling ride with my friends. So that's happening at six a.m. on Saturday morning, right? And that's that's in the diary, so I know. That's a happened.
1: reward. The six a.m. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At
0: six a.m. bike ride, sixty k. Let's go. It's <laughs> just kind of like, it's there. And I'm I'm hungry for it already. I can't wait. Yeah. It, it drives me to to throw into the next four days. Yeah. As much as I can.
1: That makes but, sense.
0: But I I do think it's a common like. Tough thing that entrepreneurs face, like when you have the wins that you've been gunning for, and they come, they can bypass you in the busyness of our day as a five-minute celebration, and then suddenly that thing that you've been gunning for, like like we said earlier, like you said, it's you're looking to the next thing, and and you don't actually celebrate the present moment where you you get you got what you want, you got there,
1: yeah. And I think like it's in so I was talking to my husband about this, and his boss is the founder of his company. And he was saying something that he's already learned. He's only been at the company for a bit, but he said like his boss always talks about using downtime as a like basically taking advantage of downtime of a business and not to question that downtime and feel like you need to take a million points of action because there might be a month where things might be low, but rather recognizing that that's going to be happening and being okay with it. And then giving yourself the space to be whatever you want to do and be whatever you want to be in that time. And I think we really tried to do that in December because for us, December, I think in this part of the world, supplements isn't necessarily like the biggest giftable item. <laughs> and as a D a C brand in December, all anyone's thinking about is gifting. And so we know that's a down season for us. And I think this year, rather than trying to plan like crazy amounts of activities that we could do to help like market the product and things like that, we just took it as like, okay, you know what? Like, we're not going to stop doing the work. Mm but we can take a, a, a mini break here and be okay with it and not feel guilty and just know and recognize that like it is what it is. And that's okay. Sometimes not all the time, but in a month like that, where you have so many hypotheses and you have so much evidence from prior years, one year, but still now too, it, it's okay for you to say it is what it is. I think.
0: Yeah, it, I, I agree. It, it's, 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 it's about creating that space and just that freedom in itself becomes a vi- vitality that, that goes through and you can kind of like, like, I think what you're doing, you're, you're already playing full out. You're already all in on it. So it's sort of like, now you give yourself the freedom at the edges to kind of tailor how that is year on yeah. year, how that goes. And what, what would you say then are the values of the business and how did you come up with that? Like, was it personal values? Was it like what how did that translate?
1: I think it's been a mix. I think, um, I think our values are really like really shine through our product philosophy. And I know you shouldn't always like connect to the product that you're selling in terms of like business values, but to me it's really relevant because I, I just think it's like everything we stand for from a product perspective is everything we stand for from a business perspective. Mm-hmm. And the the first thing out of all of those is community. And I think like formulating in a product perspective, like for the needs of the modern Asian woman, but that also means like building a business for the modern Asian woman. And I think that's like our biggest value is like, we really want to make sure that we're building with and for our community and everything is done like with and for our community. So that's number one. Second is to really like have this world-class team of experts. Um, and that's just making sure that everything we do is like rooted in science and around that. And the third is like really building this education machine, which is hopefully the next phase of Moom and just making sure that we can be that like big sister to a lot of people In the wellness space. And and I think it just like it keeps going back to community, community, community. And that word can sometimes feel a little bit silly because everyone throws it around now. But I think what we've seen in the past year and a half is that it's super, super powerful to just revolve a full business around building a community because it. It makes people, again, have this huge connection to this brand and then connection to the people working for the brand and connection to the founders. And it's how we have always related to other businesses and how we've always valued other businesses. And I think that's just really like the biggest goal with Moom is to build this community around women's health and around natural health products and around wellness, but Mm. really in Asia.
0: Mm -hmm. You're really, yeah, that's the community is the core of of the whole of Moom. yeah, did your did your prior experience or your prior career help in that respect or your marketing or was it it was just something from within you knew this is the this is the this is the people that we're serving with this product,
1: yeah. I mean, i I so I worked in community at WeWork. so obviously, like I kind of understood the concept of it. I think it's very different at WeWork. work <laughs> yeah, I mean, sure. at Moom. But I think it was something that, like, we were just very passionate about because we've seen. We've seen community based businesses, both in Asia and not, and just seen like how it it almost like brings this like higher value or like higher ethos to the company. And we were just like, we won't be doing it any other way but also in order to create a business and products that people really love like what better way to do it than with the people that are going to end up buying it so cool right we're creating it and to make this example like for listeners a little bit more concrete so we have a product um, called d bloat and that's like now one of our best-selling products it's a bloating relief supplement that works in under 60 minutes it's formulated for asian women but many people use it the way that we actually came up with bloat like we didn't know we were going to create a bloating product but we started out with a personalized quiz and within the first 3 months every quiz response that we got said bloating was their number one issue wow and so then we were like okay well then we have to do something for this now how do we create it and so we went through a couple rounds of testing internally then we tested it on our team and then we actually went out and tested four rounds of the product with our community until we got mm. to like majority majority consensus that it worked super well and within the time frame that people wanted it in and the way that people wanted it to be so like we got an 86 percent approval within 30 minutes and 92 percent the next day and so we were like okay this is a great product to bring to market and then we actually let our community choose the packaging colors And the way that it was packaged as well. And so I think that's like really a big ethos for us in everything we do is like, they're going to choose how the business is created. And I think that's really cool and really exciting because there's so so many more ways we can do that in the future. But I think that's just really the starting point.
0: Wow. Moon for the customer, designed by the customer. Like, this is great.
1: (laughs) Yes. It's really fun too. I think it's like having a conversation, just like this, right? Like, hey Tim, are there any products that you want in the world? Okay, let's make it happen. Like,
0: yeah, I went on Moom and I shot by symptom, and I went straight for sleep because I got a toddler right now, and they won't sleep, and I'm all over it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm subscribing. Like, <laughs> I've got that on monthly.
1: Amazing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> sleep well is happening for sure. Yes. But I love that because you you really like even the customer journey. You've thought about what 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 would an Asian woman want right and they they start there and then you go you can shop by step right I need this 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 right subscribe 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 that's going to be automated it's going to start flowing into my life and making me better and then I mean I love the colors as well and the design of the site I love even the detail that you've got on the packaging labels I'll show you I'll put a picture up on on this (laughs) where it describes what all that stuff on the back of the label actually means. And yeah. that's important because you're, that's, I'm, I'm guessing, speaking to the education part where you're yes. uncovering the bits around, well, this is really good because of fast absorption or this is really good because yeah. of high quality. Like wh- where did all of that come? Was that community based or was that your own inputs?
1: Yeah, I think that was something like the evolution of the brand. If you think about where we started and where we are today and the insights that we found was like, so we're very much just in Singapore, just about launching in KL. What we found about like the modern Asian woman in Singapore, at least, was people understood supplements at a very minimal level in the sense that like and I probably was like this, too. Like, I know that you need a vitamin C. I might know that you need a magnesium, but like not even But do I know much beyond that? Like, probably not. Do I know what active means versus inactive? Like, what does dosage mean? What does like the back of a supplement label, what is supposed to be read like? What are all the other ingredients? Like all of these things, right? And those were questions that we just started organically getting on our Instagram and like emails and stuff like that. Right. So what we found was, okay, the easiest place to start is the supplement label.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because you look at those, I mean half the time people don't even really read it, which is dangerous because it's pretty unregulated in Singapore. but it it was just kind of one of those things that okay, this is super simple, let's just act on it because if we can give more clarity to the back of a supplement label, let's do it. But I think now we're having a lot of discussions on, okay, like how can we really be thought leaders and educators in this space? Um, and it's not just necessarily around the supplements itself, but I think how those relate to Asian women are so like that education is so underserved and just like, hasn't happened at all. There have been like little to no research studies, consumer studies, clinical trials around this subject. And I think mm-hmm. one of the things we really want to champion this year is trying to break into that. Um, Cause first off most, I mean, this is just like a known fact. Most medical dollars are, research especially, are sent to like men's health. And then now that women's health has become like more of a sexy topic, it's starting to become that way. It's still still majority male health. Um, But on top of that, the amount that actually goes into Asia is very little.
0: That's completely underserved, right? Yeah, Yeah, it's just...
1: And so like we oftentimes get the question, like, how are you actually formulating for Asian women? Like, how do you know all these things? Some of the stuff we don't know, but that's why our advisors were super important, number one, because they worked with Asian women. So they at least had their own consumer experience with it. And that's why community plays such a big role as well. So for example, we launched with a magnesium supplement that had 350 mg in it, and it was based on our naturopaths. I mean, millions of studies that she researched over the years Mm -hmm. of her experience and also studies that we've all seen like in the US and and maybe in Australia as well. And what we found within the first three months of launching it was a lot of our customers were feeling nauseous. And so they were messaging us being like, I can't digest the magnesium. Like, I feel really sick after I'm getting diarrhea. Mm -hmm. I might like feel pukey. And so we were like, something must be off here. Where maybe based on the diets that Asian women are consuming, it might be less food, it might be different food, it might be rice instead of like gluten, things like that. Right. Like, we need to reformulate this so that it works for our customer. And so we ended up reformulating it. And now we have 250 mg. So if people need a higher dosage, they can take two. But most of the time, what we're finding is people are seeing results with a lower dosage in Singapore than, you know, the 350 MG and they're getting zero side effects. And so I think those are things that we are starting to realize along the way, knowing that our customer is the modern Asian woman. But I think a big part of it as a brand is, okay, now that we know this is underserved, how can we play a role in, in furthering the education around it?
0: Fantastic. No, that means, and is the, is the, changes you're making around the composition of the magnesium or the quality or like what it's not just, is it just the dosage?
1: It's for that one, it was the dosage because we're using the most absorbed form, like the highest absorbed form of magnesium for the body. So like our quality standards are really, really high. Mm. Um, but it could be a matter of dosage. It could be a matter of form. Sometimes It, it really depends on the ingredient. Um, and that I would say is left to our technical experts.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a great answer. Um, and That's what you're then optimizing to the modern Asian woman, right? That, that's the part that you're playing is getting it into the, to the hands of the modern Asian woman, making it easy accessible and making sure it's the right thing and, and explaining yeah. it so that then someone else can actually come along and make sure that it is an actual benefit to them. So like li- literally I just, I'm so curious on how it all stacks up, right? So, because I have got an entrepreneur in front of me that's raised capital, built a business, made a big impact in D2C, but in Singapore and, and now now KL and the world and all, all of this. What came first? You built the product, just talk me through. You built the product and then you you went and pitched the panel and said, hey, we've got this awesome idea or or, or how did, or, did it all happen on top of each other? Like, how do you well, go so- about doing it?
1: I mean I guess it was pretty simultaneous so it was we t- to give you a bit of like reality it actually took us like a year to build everything before we actually launched so it took time
0: um so you were in a year before the this website and before that so you were building the back end
1: yeah cuz that beta Whoa. was around 6 months and the the whole pitching which I'll talk about in a second was around probably 6 months as well um I mean, I really in some people's yeah. eyes, that's really fast. And I guess looking back, it was quite fast, but I guess in other people's eyes, it was also, I mean, a year is a long time, but um, we all know how quickly time passes now.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think, I think a, like, a year is pretty good. Like it goes fast. Like a year is to do what you're doing, to do what you're doing. And as you said, and you prefaced at the beginning of the conversation, like, why did we choose something so hard? Like to do something so hard, <laughs> yeah. like a year is 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 very fast.
1: So I guess like to answer your question, we we thought of the concept first. That was like very very clear to us. There are a lot of personalized supplement brands in other parts of the world. There weren't any in Singapore at the time. I think there had been one a few years back, but the point was nothing was made for women. Um, none of these right. supplement brands, even in like the US, even in Australia, whatever, hadn't really been in tune with women. And so we knew that was the concept. We were like, we have to create something for women's health as customized as possible. And then once we had that, we knew we needed formulators. So we knew we needed people that could actually create the products for us mm-hmm. that had opinions first off on what what like would go into it, but also had a bit of experience doing it before or had experience in the field of women's health. The other thing we knew was we didn't want to get just like a natural health practitioner. We wanted to have like this holistic group of people. So we actually wanted like a GP on board. We wanted a gynecologist. We wanted a dermatologist. We wanted a trichologist. So we actually like built this group of people in terms of roles in our minds up. And then some of them fell into place and some was really like figuring out how we could get into them and like pitch them and see if they would, you know, react well. And I think it ended up working out pretty well. I think like the beauty of Singapore is that Singapore is very small. So you can actually like meet these people in person and talk to them. But um, our chief formulator, her name's Lucy Wilcher. She's actually based in Australia. Um, And so her side of it is not necessarily knowing much about Asian women, but rather knowing a lot about the ingredients and knowing a lot about um, women's health more generally. And so it, two things happened that were in Hindi, you call it kismet, which is basically like luck. Um, Two things happened that just kind of like fell from the sky that were crazy. And I think this happens to everyone. One was finding Lucy. The second was finding our manufacturer. So With Lucy, I had remembered a few years back when I had joined WeWork, I was sent to Sydney for my training. And when I was there, I had reconnected with a friend in high school and he was dating this girl named Lucy. And I met her. We went to the beach together. We hung out. She took me to a yoga class and we were just chatting while she was there. And she was in in school for naturopathy. And at the time I I was I had obviously experienced like my PCOS and stuff. So I knew a little bit about this space because I was interested in it. So we just like really hit it off and we're chatting and blah, blah, blah. And so when we thought of the idea, it was like that light bulb moment where I was like, you know what? I'm pretty sure this girl I met like three or four years ago studied this. And like, I'm pretty sure she's doing her own practice now. And it Such turned out like I was right. Yeah. yeah, And it just like fell into place. And what's cool about lucy's background is she's my age so she's young but that was so great because she got she got it very quickly right. yeah. It, yeah. it wasn't yeah. this thing that was like this is so hard to explain and you're gonna help us out this way and like are you down to do this it was really just like hey this is the idea we have would you be interested in working with us on it and she's like yeah 100 percent." so
0: yeah it I, was that's really- it yeah yeah locked yeah
1: like locked in. Okay. And then it was about finding all these other ones. The hardest people to find are like gynecologists and GPs because they actually are not taught much about the nutritional world, which is scary Mm -hmm. in and of itself in a whole nother conversation. Um, Gynecologists, especially like they're not really taught the holistic side of things. Um, But yeah, that's a whole nother conversation. The second thing that was like a piece of luck that fell from the sky was finding our manufacturers. So We had been told when we were talking to a lot of people that like we should go to Australia to find our manufacturer because that's the highest quality supplements that you can Mm -hmm. find or like Canada. And so we pitched a bunch and I mean, the first hardest step with finding a manufacturer for anything and anyone will tell you this is like minimums are so high. I think it was like a million of one pill. And we were like, uh okay, we can't afford this. And also we're not buying a million pills. Like (laughs) what are you joking? And what we found with a lot of the companies in Australia were like a lot of the ingredients they were getting were coming from Asia. And so we were, that was a light bulb moment. Like, okay, you know what? We're building this for Asian women. Why don't we find a manufacturer in Asia? the biggest issue is like people don't have trust around it, which again is like a whole nother conversation. Like why don't people have trust around things that are made in Asia, even though everything is actually made here. Um And the soils are like the original soils that things have grown on. And so then we were like, okay, the question is like China or India. Um, But we didn't speak Chinese or have a personal connection to China. So we knew that that battle would be so, so difficult. And so mm-hmm. we thought, okay, India, because like we've been consuming products from India our whole entire lives. Like Millie had lived there for a really long time. And she remembered that um, Mm. someone she knew owned a supplement manufacturing company, but we thought they did Ayurvedic herbs. And then turned out they were one of like the biggest, biggest supplement manufacturers in India. They like source things all around the world, Europe, Asia, the U S like Canada. And so it was just like, okay, cool. Like, let's see if they'll take a risk on us. And they did. And we have such an amazing relationship with our manufacturer. It's like, really, I hope that never changes. Um, and and they were great because they allowed us to do minimums of like 50,000 at the very right, beginning. Which
0: makes it a bit more viable than <laughs> a million. Yeah.
1: Which is still a lot, but yeah. it was at least more than a million or less than a million. And so that's kind of like those, that's how those things lined up. And then it was just like, okay, let's just go for it.
0: And I'm assuming that means you're part, you're able to do the testing process. The samples come back and forth until you get it right. The formula is correct, and then we lock in and we go right. Let's get fifty thousand of this. We're we're, we're deploying the cash basically. We we're, we're better yeah, and than then this. we
1: also we also wanted to go a step further and get everything third party tested. This is like a little bit technical but basically we wanted like an unbiased lab to test everything as well to make sure that everything the manufacturers were telling us were true and so it's important um and that's how we got it in our hands and then all the packaging and stuff was done in singapore um but yeah it it was at at the very beginning it was my childhood bedroom closet was pills
0: Wow! Yeah, no, this is home run, but this is amazing. So, talk us. So I'm on the edge of my seat. Right, you, you literally. I love a story like this, and yours is. Just, <laughs> it's up there. Like, how did you raise the capital? Like, what is the process that you went through, and at what point do you go, "Hey, I think we're ready, VC, to to get some money"? And like, like, how many? Like, how did that happen?
1: Yeah. So, it's a very I think the process really differs for everyone. What we found right after we raised is like the lack of w- female founders in Singapore, particularly, and in Asia that have raised capital from VC. It's like really not that much. Um, I think I can probably like count them off my mm, opinions, mm, but, mm. Um, we had we had decided really early on that we were going to bootstrap for as long as we could. And then it was the question of like, okay, should we raise friends and family? Should we raise like VC? Like, how do we raise? What do we raise? And and what does it mean to raise? I think was like this big existential question that we had. Um, one of the things that like I will caveat is like, we are very privileged in the sense that like we knew we could get money somehow. And I actually think like every entrepreneur should know this, that like there are ways to get money if you need money. Um so getting strategic money is the hardest part. And like, what does strategic even mean? Like, I, I kind of hate the word strategy, but it is important, I guess, in this context. And so we had been approached by pretty much every single VC, major VC in Singapore within our first six months of launch. And we were not interested at all especially with the really, really large, well-known ones that we knew we would just be like another cog in their machine because it didn't make sense to us. We didn't need money just to have money. Um, We had been profitable since the very beginning. That was like a huge priority for us. And so it was about finding the right VCs or the right angels or the right people that we knew we Mm. could like really work with for a super long time. I think like at that time we didn't realize like how – much of a marriage getting money is. Um, and I don't, I don't like regret it at all. I'm like very, very thankful for the money we got and who we raised from. But I think what we did right was we were super picky about who we were getting money from. Mm-hmm. Um, so the way that I guess it worked like nitty gritty was it had been, we had had all the conversations, we had done all the pitches, we'd done all those like decks, whatever, um, and then it was like, okay, now I think we're ready to do this. And it was about a year in. So we just closed in like September or October. Yeah. It's, uh,
0: it's fresh. Like very at, recent. The, at that point, had you been selling products where you, re- you were profitable, there was revenue coming through and yeah. you were getting approached. So you'd been batting people away like, no, 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 no. And then what a question came up inside you again, like it's listening to yourself to say, Ha, i think yeah i think it was
1: at the the biggest question for us was at the year-ish mark like coming up to the year point of selling of being being present in the market it was like what is the goal now for the business i think really early on like it was more successful than we expected so then it became this like viable product that we see could really scale and so we were like okay do Mm -hmm. we want to scale yes how quickly do we want to scale And that's like the biggest question you have to ask yourself when it comes to raising money, I think, because Mm -hmm. you have to find either people that are going to be at your pace or people that are going to get you to the pace you want the company to be. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it was just this feeling inside, like we needed a bit of money because we wanted to hire more people and inventory costs up front. So you need money to do that. And so, I mean, we could have gone the like debt financing round, but I think our point was we're first time founders. We really want people who have the experience and we, we want this like group of advisors that we can lean upon. Um, and that was the biggest turning point because like my dad obviously has been an entrepreneur, but like who wants to listen to their dad's advice? Like nobody. (laughs) So (laughs) I love him, but I think we're like so dismissive of our parents. Like there's a, on a quick side note, there's a really funny Nick Kroll stand up comedy. And he talks about how mean we are to our moms. And I really relate to that. And it's like, we're just mean to our parents for no reason. Um, but so it was like, okay, how can we create this group of advisors? And so the way that we found it is the VC that we work with now is DSG. They're a consumer Part like Consumer Venture Fund, really focused on CPG product. And so they knew our product better than any VC we spoke to. Mm -hmm. Um, They were the only ones that really understood what we were saying. And I think the questions that they asked us in our initial conversation with them too were things that were the questions we were asking ourselves. And so that was just like a really, it was like, again, a light bulb moment that was like, okay, you know what? I think like if we want to ever be prodded by people, like these are the people that are asking us the right questions and who are actually listening to our answers as well. Like there are so many times where you pitch a VC and it's like an associate listening to you just being like getting checks and stuff like that so that they can report back to their team. But I think what we really appreciated about them was, they were genuinely invested in our story and i think that was really awesome and the other brands that they've worked with have all really been in the consumer space as well so they knew like the growth trajectory of a d2c brand and they mm-hmm. knew what to expect and so i think we we felt at that point like they were the only vc at this point that we wanted to be with at such an early stage and so that was i guess Kind of finalized like smoothly. There were obviously like a lot of DD documents and all of those things that need to be done and, you know, the financials and everything. But I think it was like we both, we both understood that we were going to partner with each other. And so we then wanted to find a few more people for not necessarily our board, but really just to build this group of advisors. And so we, through mutual people, we met the the co founder of Red Mart, um, and he was starting yeah Vikram from Naguru, and he was starting Naguru, which was a a wellness sort of VC hybrid incubator yeah, focused yeah. On, mm. on female founders, and so we oh. were like okay, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. This lines up. And I think like what they brought to the table was really this understanding of like operationally scaling. And, and I think it was just good for us to have as well. And, um, we really aligned with them. And then the third people we, we were really adamant about was we had no women on the board at this point, right. And we had no women in general as part of our advisory group. And that I think will always be a struggle. Like, having majority men in a room when you're a female founder is really tough. And so it even is tough today when we have two women, but um, the one brand that has always stood out to us in Asia has been love bonito. Mm -hmm. And it's because, I mean, no one has built a community or brand much like them. I think they've just done such an amazing job of like really tending to that modern Asian woman. And so our, target audience completely aligned and so we got introduced to Rachel the co-founder of LB through a mutual friend and pitched to her and then Dion was brought into the meeting who's the current CEO who is just like an amazing they're both amazing people um and it just like it really just lined up and so they became kind of angel investors as an institution as well and they were really strategic because they've been able to help us really understand our consumer and, and just like really be mentors to Millie and I from a female founder perspective. And I think that's been really helpful. Um, so that's, that's how it all lined up. And then it took obviously a few months for everything to finalize and close and things like that. But I would say our first round went pretty smoothly. I don't really have any complaints. (laughs) Future rounds, who knows? Yeah. But things did line up this round. And that's not to say things aren't things like having been rocky and hard. I, I think like what people often forget is like it doesn't just end once you get the money in the bank. It's actually a huge process thereafter because you're basically merging teams with like three other companies yeah. that have reporting styles that they want in a certain way that have certain numbers they want to hit you have to kind of explain your product over and over again. So it's, there's a whole piece of like investor relations founders have to do. And I think we didn't, we were very naive and didn't realize that. Um,
0: that's a big, I, really I, good point. That's really, really powerful. Yeah, because like you think that a raise is done, that that's, that's the win, that's success. But actually that's opened up a whole new part of your business that, that now you as founders are responsible for.
1: Yeah. And it's made us, need to hire more people too, right? Because like we are now also responsible for reporting to our investors and we don't fully work for other people, but we, you know, we do have to report a certain amount back. What I will say to to anyone listening, and maybe RVC listens to this too, but what I will say is like, we have gotten really lucky because they are an amazing resource. Like everyone that we've worked with are just resources for us. And I think they know that and they're super supportive. So it's been great in that sense, but it is a whole nother arm of work. And I think most people don't really know that we definitely didn't. Mm. And, And I think that's something that's like a big learning moving forward too. like raising money is a lot of work more than anything else. Yes. It's like pitching and you have to feel confident and like whatever, but it is a lot It takes up a lot of time
0: yeah yeah because i i've been previously i've been training people on the actual pitch i've I've always worked in sales and negotiation and all that side of things and now i've been training startups on how to do the pitch but that's just a a part of this whole thing it's not it's not that's just like the front end do the pitch yeah great now let's now let's actually do the real work and like the whole thing about investor relations that you say but like like i'm really happy that you're giving this balanced view of it because obviously yes you've got the dream lineup you've got the the vc that is d2c you've got the biggest fashion brand that's come out there's four females from singapore that it's yeah. like, just going nuts and like with the female advisors and and then you obviously got red which is huge in terms of distribution and the, the wealth of knowledge and you can see how those are resources and they speak amazingly to the success of yeah. of where the potential of where this is of moon is going to go and like i could see that that would be amazing and then but the the part that yeah i think people would underestimate is the work that that's always going to require like that's going yeah. to require work because they need answers right this is only going to work if you're going to put in the work to make it work
1: exactly but and i think that whole idea goes back to what i was saying at the beginning too that Yes, starting is really, really difficult, but then actually, like running a business is even more difficult, in my opinion.
0: Hmm. Once you actually get what you want, Then, yeah. then the real problem begins. Yeah.
1: And and it, people always laugh when Millie and I talk about this, but getting. Our early success, like within the first six months that exceeded our expectations, like maybe for some brands, it wouldn't necessarily exceed expectations. But for us, it really did Mm -hmm. was the scariest and hardest part, because then we were like, this is serious. We now have customers that require things from us and we can't let those people down because our whole philosophy is building for the customer. And so that's that was almost much tougher than all the legwork that went into building.
0: It's almost like it goes from theory to reality. It's like you've been, yeah, and it's theorized, and it, and this is how it should work. And then when things orders start flowing in, it's like, oh no, no, no! This this is real, and it's it's available, and it's going to people's homes, and they're consuming it, and yeah, it's yeah,
1: exactly the whole thing.
0: But um, one last point on raising funds, and I don't I don't know how actually I don't know how much more time you've got because I could talk to you forever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I will wrap this up because I know we said five. No, 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 no worries. Um, what about if, what's your message to an entrepreneur if say they're struggling, like maybe they're struggling with product market fit or str- just struggling to get a raise? Like, is it, if someone's not getting revenue, if they've got a product, but they're not getting revenue and they're trying to raise, like what what's the message there, do you think?
1: I mean, I think it depends on what stage they're at. Also caveat, this is my first time doing this. So my advice could be absolute shit. (laughs) But (laughs) I'm happy to give the advice. Um, So yeah, I I was saying, I think it depends on the stage the business is at. If you don't have revenue and you've just begun, I would say like, it's a really great time to iterate and try new things. Um, Something that really helped us early on as well is a friend of mine his name is Su Ken he runs funny enough the name is called iterative capital i think it's called <laughs> i don't know if you've spoken to Su Ken um <laughs> no. he used to work at WeWork as well like at he was um super awesome guy and he's had multiple startups in the past and he he was helping us really, or just like having a few conversations with me really early on. And he gave me this template that Y Combinator uses. And it's basically like a, it's, it's similar to the Y Combinator, I guess, template, but they've created their own. But essentially what it was, was people, when they start a business, look at growth on a monthly basis and look at things on a monthly basis. But when you do that, you tend to respond to things obviously much slower. And we think months are very, we think on a monthly basis is fast, but really changing and iterating on a weekly basis is what you should be doing and almost daily basis if you can. So in, in your first six months and in our first three months, we were tracking our metrics on a weekly basis and changing things on a weekly basis. Like if there was a marketing idea that I had, and I ran it for a week and it didn't work. I I completely scratched it and I just went to the next week and tried something else. And now I think as we've built a bigger brand, not necessarily super big yet, I can start to look at things maybe two to three weeks at a time because I maybe need a little bit of more time to test an idea out.
0: Well, it's a bigger yeah. boat now, right? It's a bigger boat, so it takes a little bit... There's more time to turn it a little bit if you're going to completely pivot something exactly.
1: out. Exactly. But early on, like, you really can change things on a weekly basis, and mm. nobody's even going to notice. Like,
0: something. whether
1: it's, like, a design change, whether it's a product change, whether it's a pricing change, like, things like That's that can such really... a good change. bit of
0: advice. Um, yeah.
1: I think, like, a concrete example of this is pricing. So we... <laughs> We accidentally launched with the wrong price for one of our pills. It was too low. Um, and we had and miscalculated something. And normally we would like freak out about this, like not know what to do. And I mean, mind you, we did have a mini freak out, but we were like, you know what? We have like X number of customers right now. I think at the time it was like maybe a hundred, maybe it was a bit more than that. Mm. So at the end of the day are a hundred customers like going to make or break the business. Like right now, yes, but maybe not in the future. Mm -hmm. And so we just decided like, let's just make the fix and let's have conversations with every single one of our customers explaining the change. And if they feel comfortable with it, great. If they don't, then like, we'll try to work something out for them. Um, And we just did it. And we did that within a day. And it was just like one of those things where we made a mistake this could be like the revenue piece right like you're trying to do something it's not working out just try to change it if that doesn't work out try again maybe go back to the old thing like but the the concept is when you're very early on i think it's really okay to change things up i think a lot of people get stuck in this mindset that like what your brand vision is at day 1 is what it's going to be for the rest of time but like it really does change and i don't think people
0: notice as much as you do. Wow. <laughs> Dropping bombs. Yeah that that's important because that's a hang up, right? Yeah. And then, and then suddenly your whole business has not got started because you got hung up on what people might think and then but also I think in that you you addressed it within a the day. There's an accelerated period of change here like you you really are like you say you're getting on it in a week it's not working I'm moving on. Like being able to think with that level of urgency.
1: Yeah. And really feel like it's super urgent at the beginning. And I think now I'm almost, I I mean, we're still so early on. So we do think of everything in a stage of urgency, but I think like there are, I've read so many things and like, I I've listened to so many podcasts of people Mm -hmm. talking about like the evolution of a business. Right. And the people that you hire at the beginning are not the same people that you hire later on. And I, I, I've spoken to my therapist about friendships as you age as well. And I think the same theory that she has there applies to this as well. She says people come into your life for a reason, a season or a lifetime. And I think that applies to almost like any relationship you may have, even for a business, like there are things that happen for your business for a reason there are things that happen for just a short period of time and that's a season and there are things that will happen for a lifetime of a business and I think that season piece can be like you're not earning the the numbers that you want or you're not being able to get a fundraise but I don't think problems like that will ever be lifetime problems of a business and if they are then you just need to learn to address them and like figure out how to get away from that or again like going back to trusting the process like just knowing that there's a way out of it eventually but i think to answer your question about people that aren't being able to raise money i think people don't realize that there actually is a lot of money out there to be given to founders and there are ways you can get that money no matter what your business is like there have been worse deals I promise you, then whatever you're thinking. And like, there are so many other ways of financing things. I, I I think people need to be okay with looking out of like the traditional method that like you have to go to a VC in order to raise money because there are a lot of other like there are family mm-hmm. offices. there's debt financing. There's like so many things you can get a loan from the bank, like, I don't think people necessarily who are building like D 2 C brands in this day and age, at least I never knew all of these options until like I started things. But I think just knowing that you shouldn't feel like, Oh my God, I'm so stuck because I don't have money. Like there is always going to be a way for you to find it. So good. So- that being said, sorry, I do have to caveat. Like I come from a very privileged space. So I shouldn't say that, like, obviously the odds aren't stacked against me on every front. And I think if the odds are like, go listen to people that have done this, that have all the odds stacked against them because they have done it and it's amazing, but.
0: No, but I think credit where credit's due. You started a business from scratch in a really hard space and something that's really hard to do. And you nailed your value prop and you stuck with it and you didn't say no to all the hurdles that came your way. And yeah, it's nice if you get an inflow of investors, but you had the right thing. You had the thing the money wanted, yeah. right? You had a successful business that was driving revenue. So what you I love what you're saying here about keep iterating, keep iterating faster, get get the thing that the money wants. And if the money doesn't want it from a traditional way, there's so many other options on the table where you, you might not have actually just understood. Yeah, you could, if you believe in it that bad, you'd go get a loan at 5% and take the loan because you, you're going to get more than 5% profit margin, over here right it's that mentality
1: the the so we were talking about the netflix co-founder i i just like went on a instagram slash tiktok hole last night of his quotes but he said he also said like you have to get really used to people telling you that number one your idea sucks and number two rejecting you like that's just going to keep happening because Mm -hmm. if you truly believe that you are changing or revolutionizing or like disrupting a space, then of course people are going to think your idea is crazy because it is crazy, but crazier ideas have been done before. And it's like, he, he gave the idea of Netflix. Like we were up against Blockbuster. They were making $6 billion a year. And I pitched my idea to people and they were like, are you kidding me? Like no one's going to buy Netflix. And it's like, okay, well, if I listen to everyone that said no to me at the time, then I wouldn't be where I am today. And that goes back to just trusting your gut. Like you have to think in crazy terms and be okay with people thinking you're crazy because like, then, then how else are you like disrupting something? It doesn't make sense.
0: That's it, yeah. The, 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 yeah, if you're not disrupting something, if you're just, yeah. oh, I'm, I'm calm, and no one really says it, but they think it's going to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that that's not disrupting anything. You're just exactly. Yeah, that's that's completely it. You're not bringing the storm if you're if you, yeah. You should expect that. That's so powerful.
1: Yeah, so powerful. If not my words, his.
0: <laughs> wow, Maya, I could talk to you forever. This is this, <laughs> I've wanted to do this podcast for so long, and just to yeah. have um, it's such a. Such a privilege, but it's just so nice to talk to you and just have this conversation. And I think within this, there's so many parts just speaking from to you, like the entrepreneur that's done it and is going to continue to keep doing it. And like you said, you might have a couple more businesses in you as well in the future. Who knows? But I,
1: I really just, have no idea.
0: Yeah, it's just it's so exciting. And I can see that Moom is it's it's got. Such a promising trajectory. I wish I had been involved in the angel round. Like this is like, yeah. Like,
1: you never know in the future.
0: Hey, give me a call. This is like seriously exciting because it's solving a problem that I think, like, like you said, it's not been solved. There, it's in such an area that hasn't had the light shined on it, and now you're there shining a light on it. Not only that, but also female two co-founders. And and going out there and saying, hey, you know, we don't just want to get advice from everybody. We want to continue and make this a bigger thing. Like we want to change the game and we want to make sure that it's represented in the right way. And I think hats off to you. Hats Thank off you to you. Thank you so
1: much. That was really, really kind. I very much appreciate that. And you've given me excitement and momentum for the rest of my week.
0: <laughs> oh, goodness. I'm glad I could do that. I'm glad we could, I'm glad we could connect on here and um. Yeah, honestly, if there's way I can ever help, or you know, yeah. just, I'm really glad that we could do this. I'd love to get you on again and say, yeah. I would love yeah. to hear yeah.
1: all the an- or all the answers of the questions that you asked me from your perspective.
0: Well, I'll have to um write write a solo <laughs> episode.
1: Yeah, yeah I you should do should a yeah. solo episode where people can submit questions to you.
0: That's quite a good idea. Yeah, I'll I'll iterate on that now because um, you've spoken to iterate. so many people that's true yeah that's true i should yeah that'd be quite a good idea actually we'll put it in motion you've given me momentum <laughs> a week My project. Good, good i'm glad